We're starting off on a wonderful journey on a book called Joshua. And I want to take a little more time this morning to share with you the truths of this book so that we don't start off in a path that might take us away from the very teaching of what Joshua is trying to express. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at, at choosing titles, and, and they asked me to do it, and so I try. And, and the title that, that I gave this morning uh, is meaningless unless I try to explain it to you. It's, it's life, not death. When you listen to some old hymns and songs, or if you come upon some preachers that have been preaching for quite some time, They've gotten into the habit of, of saying that the crossing of the Jordan was a signifi signified our death and our, our, our going into the everlasting kingdom of heaven. That's not true. That is absolutely not what this book is about. And if we start off studying this book with that premise in mind, we're going to miss and we won't be able to interpret what is being said to us properly. One of the things, would you please turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Actually, let me start. I'm going to end with this statement. Look at Joshua chapter 18. We're not going to be looking at just one particular verse in Joshua today, but rather we're going to look around a little bit. Look at Joshua chapter 18, verse 3, for just a moment. I'm going to close with this statement, so I want this to kind of be on your heart as we go through this uh, place in Scripture. What we're going to do when we read through the book of Joshua, and we're going to start studying it line upon line, word upon word, next week. But the book of Joshua, we're going to see the events of, of this great book and what they have to do with the life of God's people and not their death. Uh, the reason I say this, as I just mentioned to you, is that some have equated the crossing of the Jordan with believers dying going to heaven and that is that is not true and if we look at it in that fashion we're going to be confused when we start to interpret this great book you see the promised land the crossing of the Jordan cannot be a type of heaven it cannot because heaven is not a place of conflict and conquests and that's what's going to be seen in the book of Joshua. That's why God is asking Joshua over and over again once he took over for Moses. He says, I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous. And the reason being is, is that Joshua was going to have to go into that land with all of those people and they were going to have to conquest. They are going to have to capture enemies over in that part of the, uh, the land that they're going to. And so heaven is not a place of conquest. It's not a place of conflict. On the contrary, heaven is a gift of God that is the grace of God. It'll be a place that you and I will be at complete and total rest, not a place of, of conquest. And so near the middle to the end of this book, Joshua, and I'm not certain why, but he looks at the people in verse 3 of chapter 18, and he says to them, Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long, how long, he asks, will you put off entering to take the possession of the land 
which the Lord, the God of your Father, has given you. At the core of the book of Joshua, it's an illustration, folks. This book, Joshua, is an illustration of how believers, you and I, who have chosen to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, how we can say goodbye to our old life and enter into our new life. But in our new life, there are inheritance that we receive, blessings that we have in Christ. Unlike the people in Joshua's time, those inheritances and the blessings they got were physical. Yours and mine are mostly spiritual. And we need to understand that these events that are going to take place in our life through the book of Joshua as spiritual victories as we take conquest over our enemies, whatever they may be and whomever they may be. And how do we take conquest? We take conquest through the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Ephesians. The book of Ephesians and the book of Joshua are, um, they correspond with one another. Ephesians is how we will see things doctrinally. Joshua is going to show us how we see things practically. And so when in Ephesians it says, Blessed, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has blessed you and me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As Joshua had to be courageous, as Joshua and the people of Israel had to be strong, they had to be this way because they were going to have to go into this new land that crossed, that was across the Jordan, and they were going to have to take possession. And they had to be courageous and strong to do it. As you and I, as believers, accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, it does not end there. As a matter of fact, it just begins. Our walk with Christ is an ongoing conquest and taking over of the enemies that used to weigh us down, the sin that so easily entangles us. We are to rid ourselves of those things. And the way you do it and the way I do it today is the same way God asked Joshua and the people to do it in his day, and that is, he will never leave you. He says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will be with you everywhere you go. And he makes the same promises to us today as we walk through this life as believers. What Ephesians explains to you and me doctrinally, Joshua is going to show us practically. Namely, how we claim our riches in Christ. You see, the book of Joshua corresponds with the book of Ephesians. Very similar. In the book of Ephesians, as I just read to you, we're going to see that we become blessed, as a believer in Jesus Christ, blessed with every single spiritual blessings. But there's a key to it. I wanted to read this to you. We didn't do this last night, and Wes is so clever. He did it for us so we could read it 
today. It's not scripture, but it's really good stuff. The very key of what we're trying to understand in the book of Joshua is the practical possessions and the experiences of our blessings in Christ Jesus depend solely upon your personal conquest over your personal sin or whatever enemy it is that is holding you back. And we need to understand this. Our spiritual blessings are never attained through our flesh. You can't willfully do it. There are some people who are very strong, willfully very strong. My father was a willfully strong man. My father smoked from when he was a, a, not even a teenager. You know, back in those days, dad smoked. He smoked when he was a kid. And he smoked all through his uh, adolescence, and then he smoked all the way through his, his, his young age, and, and, and then he, he, he'd end, end up dying from a lung disease. But about, when he was about maybe 65, he looked at me and he says, I'm not going to smoke another cigarette. And he never did. Boy, he could will himself to do anything he wanted. But you and I don't overcome the battles that we have by a strong will. We overcome the battles that we have in and through the power of the Holy Spirit when we willfully and obediently yield ourselves moment by moment to our walk with Jesus Christ. The book of Joshua is going to illustrate the method by which you and I as believers can possess what God has already given to us. And so when Joshua says to the people in verse 3 of, of chapter 18, how, how long is, are you going to put off entering into the, into the land, the possession which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has already given you? And I guess you and I can say to ourselves or people who struggle with their walk with Jesus Christ, we can probably say the same thing to them. How long, how long are you going to wrestle with this sin? You have every spiritual blessing to overcome it. But you need to know something. It's not yours automatically. It becomes ours when we battle against the sin in our lives. Just as Joshua is going to have to battle against the enemy in the, in the, in the promised land, so you and I here on this earth need to battle against those things that hold us back. Listen, listen, this is really important. The Christians that you admire, someone that you admire as this super spiritual person, that person is not a good person automatically. You need to know that. They, too, have to daily win the battle over sin and temptation within their own life. It is an ongoing battle for them, too. One of my heroes in the faith has always been Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And I like him for a lot of reasons. Number one, I got to meet him. And I got to meet him quite... Uh, let me tell you a little story. May I please... This it's way off the subject, but, but not off the subject of ongoing battle, but off the subject of this message. But not really, but it is. I used to do chapel with the baseball teams, as Jimmy Campanis knows very well. And I, and I did that with the Dodgers, and I did it also with the Angels. And the Angels were in town playing a, a series, and the, 
the Cleveland Indians were coming in to play against the Angels. Now, for some of you, this can be very boring. I just dawned on me, this is really boring for some of you because you don't like sports. But I got a call from one of the Cleveland Indian players, and he said, when we come to chapel here to Southern California, can you get Dr. J. Vernon McGee to, to do chapel for us? And I said, oh, sure. And then who do you want after him? Billy Graham? You know, I mean... <laughs> He says, oh, no, no. <laughs> he says, oh, no, no. I, I know him. I know him. Give him a call. Tell him that I have asked. He'll come. And I said, and how am I going to call him? With drums? I mean, is he going to hear the drums and say, oh, John must want me? No. He says, here's his phone number. I'll give you his phone number. Give him a call. Ask him to come and do chapel for us. I, I miss him. I haven't seen him in a long time. So I called. That was an experience in and of itself. Picked up the phone and expect to hear a secretary, right? I wish I could do his voice. He answers the phone. I looked at the phone and I went, I, I, go, I couldn't speak. I mean, this guy was one of my heroes. And he said, you know, hello, or however he talks. And, 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 and I said, Dr. McGee. And he said, yes. And I said, uh, Andre Thornton asked me to call you. Oh, Andre, how's he doing? I said, he's doing great. He'd like for you to do chapel. He says, I'd love to do chapel. When and where? Didn't, didn't know where I was going to ask him to come or anything. I said to Angel Stadium, I'm going to give you some tickets. You can do chapel for both the teams and enjoy the game. He said, I would love to do that. So he comes to the ballpark and he speaks. And, and when we do chapel, we never do chapel with the both teams together. It just wasn't the right thing to do. We do chapel with, with uh, first one team and then with the other, you know. And so he speaks to first the Indians, and then, then when, when the, the, the angels get off the field from taking batting practice, and the Indians go off and do their batting practice, then we have chapel with the angels. So he does chapel with both teams. Funniest thing in the world happened this game. One of the pitchers, uh, I forget his name, uh, you do him right off if I told, remember his name. I think it was Denny. I think he was known for uh, brushing guys back. And on the Angels was Don Baylor, who didn't like to get brushed back, but he got hit a lot. And lo and behold, then he not brushes, not brushes, I guess he hits Baylor, and Baylor rushes to the mound, and then everybody comes out of the dugout and the bullpen, and there's a fight immediately right in the middle. Dr. McGee told me this story. He says, one of his friends who took the game said, Dr. McGee, Dr. McGee, he says, I thought you did chapel with these guys. <laughs> Dr. McGee didn't miss a beat. He said... Yeah, and think how bad it would be if I wasn't here. <laughs> now, there's a man of confidence. You see, if that was me, I would have cowered away. I said, oh, I know. I wonder what I said. I know I said something wrong, and I would have taken all the blame. He said, nah, man, look it. It's much better since I'm here. <laughs> the reason I mention his name is because the reason I love him so much is in his commentary. He writes very clearly. He says, I've never been the pastor that I wished I would have been. He says, I've never been the father that I wished I would have been. I've never been the husband. I've never been the Christian that I wished I would have been. And when I read that, I said to myself, aha, I understand. We all are not good people automatically. We have to work to overcome those things in our life that hold us back. I want you to see a wonderful clue. Joshua chapter 11, please. This is such a great place. I promise you, if I, haven't, if I didn't point this out, you'd never notice it. At least I wouldn't guess that you would. Joshua chapter 11, verse 23. 
It's very, very, just a, 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 a just kind of a, it's not like a loud message in and of itself. In verse 23, Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. Now that's a very interesting statement. But if you compare Joshua chapter 11 verse 23 with Joshua chapter 13 verse 1, it gives you a clue of what was going on in and through the life of Joshua and the people. In chapter 13 in verse 1 it says, Now Joshua's old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years and very much of the land remains to be possessed. Which is it, folks? Which is it? Do they have it or don't they? You see, practically speaking, they had it. But realistically, they still had to go in and possess the land. The Lord God gave them the land, but they had to go in and possess the land. And so, what I am saying to you, what Joshua is going to say to you and me, they still had to battle for the land, and you and I still have to battle for our walk of obedience in Christ Jesus. Theirs was a physical ba a battle. Yours and mine is a spiritual battle. Now, I want to share with you four geographic locations seen throughout the history of Israel that will illustrate the experiences that you and I hold as believers today in Christ Jesus. And I think it will make sense to us as we look through these four areas, these four geographical areas or locations that Israel had to go through, just as maybe you and I have to go through. First is Egypt. Israel was in Egypt. Egypt was a place of death and bondage. They were slaves in Egypt, Israel was. They were delivered delivered from Egypt by, no, they were delivered from death by the blood of a lamb. Let me explain to you how. You'll know it. When the Lord came and he told, talked to Moses, he said, I will, I will take you out of this land. He says, but I want all of you, all of the people of Israel, to take a lamb and have that lamb in its home kill that lamb and put the blood of the lamb where? Do you remember? On their doorposts. And he says, for everyone that I see the blood of a lamb on the doorpost, the death angel shall pass over that home, which the Jews to this day celebrate Passover. God delivered Israel from death by the Lamb and the blood. God also then delivered them from bondage for when they left Egypt and they started off on their journey, the, the, the people of Egypt became angry that they left and went back to get them. Do you remember? And they sent the army after them. And do you remember what happened? Israel got kind of cornered in right before the Red Sea. Remember? 
And here came the army after him, and the people wondered, what are we going to do? And the Lord told Moses, put up your staff, and I will separate the sea, and you will pass through it. He delivered them from bondage by the power of God, allowing them to cross through the Red Sea. Now, some people say, which is just another throw-in, that the Red Sea, that was not a big deal. It's, it's some places it's only a foot high. You know, it's, they could have walked through that. Which I say is a greater miracle. That God drowned the whole Egyptian army in a foot of water? That's amazing. No, there was the great sea. And the Lord God separated it, and they went through. And then when the Egyptian army started to go through, the sea enclosed upon them, and they drowned. Egypt illustrates the salvation of the deliverance we have from death and the deliverance we have from bondage through faith in Christ by the Lamb of God. As John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he saw Jesus Christ walking towards him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of this world. And so Egypt was a type of death and bondage that God allowed His people to go through. And through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too, believing sinners, are delivered from the bondage of sin, death, and judgment by our Lord who will one day escort you and me into everlasting life. Second illustration Israel was in the wilderness. The wilderness experience depicts believers who live in unbelief and disobedience and therefore were held back from entering into the promised land. They don't enter into their rest. They don't enter into their riches. They do not enter into the heritage, inheritance that they have in God because one, they either don't know it's there, or two, they know it's there, but they refuse to enter in. There are many believers today that don't know the truth. They don't know what the Bible teaches. They have not been taught. And so they become, as I've heard many a pastor call, some believers retarded. They just are not able to comprehend because they don't know what's written within these pages. You and I are not going to be that way. We're going to learn about this. This is what we do at this church. This is our, our whole purpose of church, is to help you, inform you, strengthen you as you walk with Christ. And you'll never be the, the man, the woman, the young person of God that God's called you to be until you start understanding what's in here. But there are other people who know what's in here, but they just refuse to enter. They refuse to do what they ought to do. The third place location that talks about for Israel was Canaan. Canaan represents the obedient Christian life. It, it represents the life that you and I ought to live. It's a, a life of victory. It's a life of faith. It's a life of obedience. It's a life of spiritual riches and spiritual rest. It's a life of faith, pure and simple. And it's lived moment by moment through trust in Jesus Christ and He alone and receiving the benefits that we find in Christ 
through obedience. You need to know that as you and I walk with Christ, just because we become a believer doesn't automatically mean we're going to really be on top of the pile when it comes to walking with the Lord. It is a moment-by-moment battle. And so many believers have not been told this truth. And then when troubles come or, or difficulties come or, or heartaches come and, 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 it, and it comes upon them, they, they think all of a sudden, I've done something wrong. Oh God, what have I done? And they don't realize that, that they are going through what everybody goes through. They just have to be obedient to the Lord. The last place I want to mention today is Babylon. Babylon is where... Israel had to endure 70 years of captivity. And why? Simply because they disobeyed God and they worshipped idols instead of the living God. And therefore, God had, God had to discipline them. I want you to turn to this place. Hold your place here in Joshua. As a matter of fact, if you're in Joshua anywhere, but Joshua 1 would be a good place to hold your place. And then would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. One of the great, great places in all of Scripture. And it, it has so much to say to us as believers. And it goes to the very core of what we're talking about. When God's children willfully become rebellious, when God's children willfully do not want to obey, know better but don't obey, they leave, they, these children of God leave the Father the Heavenly Father, with no other choice. He must chasten them until they learn to be submissive and obedient. And this is no place to find yourself. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we're going to look through a couple of verses, more than a couple, about 11 of them. It says, verse 1, one of my favorite verses, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We can do a whole message on that one verse. That verse is incredible. We, we are told to lay aside those encumbrances, lay aside those things that are sin that so easily entangle us and don't allow us to run the endurance race that God has set before us to run. He says, put those things aside. Rather, he says in verse 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, verse 3. Consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and you may not lose heart. In other words, our example of suffering is none other than Jesus Christ. And as we fix our eyes on Him and we consider what He went through, then when we go through trials, we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart. Because we'll know we are going through what is part and parcel of our lives. So it goes on to say, watch, you, verse 4, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son or daughter, it's child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. 
For those whom the Lord loves, He, what? He disciplines and He scourges every child whom He receives. One of the great lessons of all time about Scripture was my son. My son, to this day, is my hero. I love him. I like the way he's grown up. I like almost everything about that young man. But when he was in high school, I thought I was raising Charlie Manson. I, I thought he was going to just be... Uh, there was no telling where he was going to go. And, and, and I was wanting to give up. There were men like Wes and Pastor Wes and a friend of mine named Bill and others that just said, no, he's going to be fine. You hang in there with him. He's going to be fine. And I said, I don't think so. And then when he hit about 20, Kay was driving him home one place, from one place. And um, he looked at her in the car and he said, you know, Mom... He says, I'm trying, but I can't put aside everything you and my dad taught me. He says, I can't put it aside. And he has become such a neat Christian man. When we discipline our children, we do it for their good. Verse 7 says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his parents do not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons or daughters. You see, it's not, it's not, it's not that you're a bad person, that you're going through difficulties. We all go through them. It's a place where our Lord uses these times to help us to grow and help us to become the people of God that he desires us to be. It says in verse 10, oh, no, verse 9, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us. In other words, our earthly fathers and parents disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, he's going to discipline us for our good so that we might share in his holiness. Folks, to be rebellious against God is to go into a place where he must discipline you. And if you and I are in that place, if we can consider 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a great promise we have in Christ. And so there's no reason for you or me to live a life with unconfessed or unforsaken sin in our lives. We must discipline ourselves so that God will forgive us, God will restore us back into fellowship with Him. And that's what Joshua is really all about. When Israel, go back to Joshua chapter 1, please. When Israel was in Egypt, the enemy was all around them. They were surrounded and their lives were miserable. When they crossed the Red Sea, Israel, their, en their enemy of Egypt was placed behind them and destroyed. But when they crossed, as we're going to see in Joshua, when they crossed the Jordan River, 
they found new enemies before them. And they had to conquer these new enemies. And it was done by faith. Let me show you how. And it was done by the Word of God. Back to Joshua chapter 1. One of the greatest places in all of Scripture. Verse 5. God says to Joshua, No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's the same promise that you and I have. Just as I have been with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. That's the same promise that you and I have today. Only, he says in verse 6, be strong and courageous. He is saying that because Joshua is going to have to go and do battle against enemies. And you and I today as believers have to do battle against these enemies that are trying to stop us from being all that God wants for us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, but so many of us as believers are falling prey to to sin and to difficulties that that keep us from being all that God wants us to be. Look what it says in verse 6, be strong and courageous for you shall For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only, he says again in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law. Watch this verse. This is such a powerful place of the Word of God. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it, either to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law, this very thing that you and I get to read, it should not depart from our mouth. We should meditate upon it day and night so that we may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Because then, then folks, you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, the Lord says to Joshua in verse 9, be strong, be courageous, don't tremble. Don't be dismayed. I am with you wherever you go. That is a promise you and I have today. That is the life of faith that we have as believers. You see, the victorious Christian life is not a once-for-all triumph that happens the moment we ask Christ into our lives. No, as we're going to see through Israel, through Joshua, we're going to see how the problems are, are there before them time after time after time. And so the victorious Christian life that you and I live, this study of the book of Joshua is a series of conflicts and a series of victories, all because of our faith in God and through the Holy Spirit helping us as we defeat one enemy after another and claim more of our inheritance, more of our blessings to and for the glory of God. The reason you and I are, be the peop- are to be the people of God that God's called us to be is not so, so that people can look at us and say, wow, look at that great Christian. No, we are to be all that God has asked us to be so that we people can look at us and say, who is your God? And so that you and I can glorify God through our lifestyle. That's the purpose of being all that God wants you and me to be. And so as we began this message, the question I would like to ask you today, I think it's a question that I would like to ask every church person today, is in in, in chapter 18, verse 3, how long are you going to put off 
entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, your God of your fathers, has given you. How long, folks, are you and I are going to linger as carnal baby Christians who do not grow up in our faith? And let me tell you something. It doesn't come with many years as Christian. I've just known a person that's been Christian since he was a little boy, and he's a grown man, and he is as carnal as I've ever seen anyone. It doesn't come with age, and it doesn't come because you want it. It comes because you're obedient to the Word of God. How long will you and I have to hear the Word of God preached before we begin to live out within our lives the blessings that God has given you and me? My question to you and me is this as we close. As you look at your life, and as you look at this, your church, the rock, how do you see yourself and how do you see fellow believers? Do you see us wandering in the wilderness? Or do you see us conquering in the promised land? In the wilderness, the Jews were a complaining lot of people. Complain, oh, it's too hot, it's too cold. Food's not good. Food's too much. I don't have enough water. The water's bitter. I don't know what. Everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. I wish that I was back in Egypt. When we were back in Egypt, we had it good. That's a lie. They hated Egypt. But because they were in the wilderness, they complained. They complained, complained, complained. Or are we a group of church, of people that are like in Canaan, conquering, growing in our faith? What I want from you and me is to become all that God has asked us to become. I will, I will live my life for that purpose. I will study my Bible as hard as I know how. I will get into my Bible as much as I know how. And hopefully what the Lord teaches to me, I can pass on to you. And hopefully what the Lord does through us, we will become a group of people who are obedient to our Lord and become all that He has asked us to be. Let me tell you, this type of church that we are founding here is not a church that grows off the chart. Because people are going to come in here and they're going to say, you've got to be kidding. You know, you know why most people like the Bible and the churches they go to? It's because they don't have a clue what it says. If you know what's in the Bible, you are fearfully and awesome and wonderfully made and you realize that there is a big commitment. And most pastors are afraid to tell their people that because that doesn't draw crowds. And, and I'll tell you the truth. Most pastors want a lot of people. You know, it's like, well, yeah, we're over a couple thousand now. Oh, really? Oh, great. What book are you teaching? Well, we're not in the book. We don't want to upset those that are coming. We don't teach the Bible. We figure they'll do that in their small groups. We just want to have the people comfortable when they come. No, we're not going to do that to you. No, we're not going to do that to the Lord. That's not why he asked us. That's why we studied the book of Acts. We studied the book of Acts so that you and I would understand what a true church that is formed by Jesus Christ looks like. A church, a church that will teach the Word of God. A church that will have communion, fellowship, will have prayer, will give, and will worship. That's what we're about. And we'll do that every time we gather together. And the number of people is not important. That's what, you want to know why I love you all so much? I love you all so much. I can't even put it into words how much I love you guys. I love you guys so much. I'm glad there's no guys up here. <laughs> I love you all so much because you come to hear the Word of God preached. I love you because you challenge me. You, 
There are some men here. Okay. I love you. I loved your father. Last night, when I, you know, he sat through the message last night, and he said such a big amen when I said what I said. And I asked him if he'd pray for us. And we closed our service. Would you be so kind to do that today, Bill? Laura, um, we give you thanks to uh, just to give us the wisdom to come to this uh, place and uh, to let us see what you have done with us coming out of nowhere and having a building now. And like you talked to uh, Joshua, there is more to conquer. Lord, uh, continue giving us the craving to come into your presence and continue keeping our pastor healthy so he will uh, teach us every week whatever you want us to, uh, to learn. And Laura, let it be your will, not ours, but we're just asking one thing. Let us be, let us be with you on your will. Include us in your will. We ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Have a great day. We both love you. <laughs> See you next week. Yep. Love you folks so much. Thank you for being here.